Halloween 1, Electric Boogaboo. <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> that is not what it's called. This movie's kind of funny. It kind of is. I, I can't wait to talk more about it, but like... <laughs> This is a banger classic, but it's also just a little funny and a tiny bit bad. <laughs> it was the blueprint for so many things. I know, and it's like <laughs> fucking with me. I'm like... <laughs> Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where this is no man. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are talking about the 1978 John Carpenter film, Halloween. Uh, the blueprint for spooky season, everybody. <laughs> oh, happy end to spooky season. We're sorry to be do- we're sorry to be wrapping it up, but here we are. Yeah, guys, Halloween's tomorrow. Oh no no. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> is it on a fucking Tuesday? It is. This year? Isn't that Damn. awful? <laughs> yeah, no, we, we struck out on that one. <laughs> Add it to the list. It's been a banner year. Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter, or X, at Kick and Stream. Uh, no. K-I-C-K-N. <laughs> no. S-T-R-E-A-M. No. <laughs> you can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, or on Twitter. <laughs> Stop. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's this spooky season. Rate, review, retweet. Yeah, rate, review, retweet. You're so mad at I'm me for that. I'm never calling it X, and I'm never paying for it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love that dumb bird app, but, like, he's making me mad. Always. Ooh. <laughs> bought Twitter to control the narrative. <laughs> and, guys, if you're still starved for spooky content after this coverage, don't forget, you can go over to Patreon and subscribe for $5 at the Little Onion level. Yeah, no, guys, um, there's never been a better time, actually. We're actually pretty scared over here. <laughs> it's very spooky this season, so why don't you go on over there and, uh, you know, give us your money? Because you get access to all of our long-form bonus and television content. Like, it's so good. Not only have we covered the entirety of Mike Flanagan's The Haunting of Hill House, which House of Usher debuted today. Oh, God in heaven. I'm trying to ration that out. Yes, you should. But also, we're also doing a thing this month where we covered the original Exorcist on the Patreon, and then we're going to share with you our movie-going experience. For Exorcist Believer, which is apparently very bad. <laughs> I can't so wait. So you're not going to want to miss that. <laughs> the one, the only, the classic Halloween. Halloween night. A small American town, 15 years ago. Eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back. 
he came home. John Carpenter, my guy, you don't know what you did. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like he does. This is something else. I love the way he looks. Look at that man. <laughs> he looks like Grandpa Joe from looks Willy like, Wonka. It's like Statler and Waldorf. Like, <laughs> Guys, John Carpenter, not only did he direct this film, but he composed the score. And, and you love a multi-talented director. The movie is is the score and the score is the movie for me it's like i'll have more to say on it later i'll talk more about it later but i john carpenter um obviously halloween's like his biggest thing he also did escape from new york from 1976 Mm -hmm. which is a movie i think i have to see they remade the thing yes in 1982 and guys if we ever do the thing on here, uh-huh. we have to have Harrison on. It's like Harrison's favorite movie. Guys, it's grotesque. I don't know about his favorite movie, but like he would ev- What do you want to watch? The Thing? No. <laughs> I love The Thing. Would you be mad if I put on The Thing? Probably a little. Like I <laughs> It's like the eighth time this month and you've done it. John Carpenter also loves The Thing. So Oh no, The Thing will eventually come up in this episode they live from 1988 john carpenter mm-hmm. mm, yeah i know john carpenter you're you're a good filmmaker you're a good filmmaker a lot of cult classics in there but you're good at what you do the halloween franchise has spanned quite literally 40 years and how many films like 13 uh, at this point yeah and john carpenter was involved with the first one, <laughs> and then the last two that just came out. He was a producer. He was moderately involved with the second one, but not as much, and that's definitely why the second one is inferior. You're never going to believe who wrote it. Tell me. John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah, no, that was not a shock. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. Hey, love it. Actually released on Halloween 1978. Mm, 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 well, mm. not on Halloween, but October 25th. You know, like it was coming. It was Halloween adjacent astoundingly low budget. Oh my God. Uh, at most $350,000. You know how much mo- money the movie made? Like $150 million once you adjust for inflation I or mean, something? I mean, it, it made like $65 million at the time. Oh, okay. All I right. know. Well, I don't know about at the time, but cumulatively, a nice tidy 90 minutes. Yeah. You know, a lot of it is kind of dead air and you watching the th- events unfold with the score. So guys, we're not going to overburden you with descriptors but how many different scenes can we talk about where michael myers is standing outside watching through an open window we're we're both we both were like starting to take notes and then going you know what no it doesn't matter (laughs) because we are uh discussing the narrative surrounding uh michael myers and laurie strode here today Mm. two of the most famous spooky time characters in your film viewing lexicon i don't know man laurie strode and michael myers that's just one of those famous hero antagonist pairings that you know reminds me of things like the Joker and Batman. The fight between good and evil. Yeah, it's it's like it's Potter like Potter and Voldy. <laughs> yeah. Sauron and Frodo. It's like I feel like you and I are destined to do this forever. Mm-hmm. Kind of kind of energy, and they did, didn't they? Yeah, no. This didn't this whole saga just wrap up? There's supposed to be no more, right? Yeah. Please, they'll be announcing a remake in a year. No. All of them. Don't They're th- gonna do all of them. No, don't speak that into existence. <laughs> uh, just know they are though. <laughs> Let Jamie Lee Curtis retire. <laughs> Hey, guys, first of all, pay them. And second of all, write something. Like, God. (laughs) All right, folks, you might have guessed it. 
but we've got names. Holy shit. Portraying Laurie Strode all the way up until like five minutes ago. (laughs) Introducing to the screen, you love her. We've had her. A few times. Mm-hmm. Please welcome her back, Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, the Baroness hadn't guessed. The probiotic yogurt queen. <laughs> I love her. I'd scream if I needed yogurt to shit. She was with us when we covered Freaky Friday. My girl. We should have done a fish called Wanda by now, but we haven't. We got to do that. Oh my god! Also in the fog. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, I didn't even. I didn't even remember that. Right, she she just won a fucking Oscar for everything, everywhere, all at once. Mm, she deserved it. And also, oh, fucking scream queens. I I, she's married to Christopher Guest of Monty Python Association, and I just I love Jamie Lee Curtis. I think she's one of the realest fucking people in that industry. <laughs> I truly do. I think she understands, and I think she's someone who understands. You never need to stop learning. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love her. I love her energy. She's the on-screen mom we all want and deserve. She patented an adult diaper she invented herself. She did? Talk about Activia. <laughs> no! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like, she is from good Scream Queen stock. Yeah, I know, she is the daughter of Janet Lee of Psycho fame. I think we forget that sometimes. Another blueprint. Mm. Uh, mother-daughter blueprints! <laughs> Laurie Strode, OG Scream Queen. The family that acts together screams together. And I just love that she's in Scream Queens. Ryan Murphy, that series is weird. <laughs> we need to talk to him. Yeah. We need to sit him down and have a talk. Like, I need to sit him down and ask him to stop casting Emma Roberts in things. I don't know if he was associated with Dahmer. I, 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 I don't know if he did anything for that. I think he did. I think that was him. I think I Dahmer can't. is a Murphy series. I can't keep track of it anymore. I need to hold his hand and go, what's wrong? <laughs> Like, why'd you do that to all of us? Like, that was awful. Anyway, portraying Michael Myers or The Shape, we have a couple of people, actually. Yeah. Nick Castle does most of the body work for Michael Myers. Um, There is an actor when we reveal him. I forgot that we actually got a good look at his face in this film. Yeah, no, um... His name's Tony Moran, mm-hmm. that he does that when the unmasking happens, and then uh, little Will Sandon plays Michael Myers, age six. I think there's also a prop master that does a couple of the shots, because he knew how hard he would have to hit things to break them. I think you can't really describe Michael Myers as a person. Oh, no. Like, Michael Myers Mm-mm. is a monster. Like, from from how hard it is to destroy him... To his absolute mental break, which has deprived him of any sense of humanity whatsoever, yeah. he is no longer a person to to me. Like he is, he is an actual monster. Yeah, and he just won't stop. The boogeyman. Yeah, he is the boogeyman. He is the thing that you are afraid is in your closet at night. Yeah, I have a very specific kind of problem with intruder stuff. It like, mm-hmm. not that. Everyone shouldn't. Yeah, but like, it's not that you're special, but you just get especially eked by it. Yeah, you've talked about it before. There's something in the house, and I don't know where it is, or how it got or in, or how it got in. Like I just, oh my god. So yeah, it gets to me a little bit some parts of this movie, but yeah, Michael Myers is an enduring villain, mm. and <laughs> um, <laughs> we will certainly talk about it. Um, portraying horrible doctor Samuel Loomis, horrible doctor, Doctor Samuel Loomis. Um, we have 
Um, Donald Pleasance. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an English actor. Oh, yeah, he's, you can hear it. He's very, very Shakespearean. Yes, you know. Uh, but, you know, he's Lieutenant Blythe in The Great Escape okay. from 1963. All right. He's Ernst Blofeld from You Only Live Twice, which is a James Bond film from 1967. <laughs> uh, he's Doc Tiden in Wake and Fright from 1971. And, of course, he's very well known for this. He's also the president in Escape from New York. Hey! Yeah, so there you go. Carpenter's got his faves. And he's the priest. East and Prince of Darkness. Yeah. Ooh. I know. I th- there need th- there's too many Shakespearean actors in this movie, but <laughs> I think we'll get there. Portraying a friend of Laurie Strode, Linda Vanderclock. That's a little close. <laughs> um, we got PJ Souls in the house today. Please welcome her and also show her the door. Why? She's not going to be back. I- <laughs> no, she will. She absolutely will. Because you know what other movie I know her from? What is it? It's Carrie. Oh, is she in fucking Carrie? She is the girl that tor- that's part of the girl. Oh, she's Norma. She's Norma. The one in the red baseball cap. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Never mind. I spoke too soon. Uh, she's here yeah. as Linda Vanderclock. Anyway. <laughs> that is one letter away from being a humongous joke. Portraying Lori's terrible friend, Annie Brackett. Oh, yeah. We have Nancy Loomis. Um, she did Assault on Precinct 13 from 1976, which is a John Carpenter. She was also, you guessed it, in the fog. <laughs> She's also playing a different character in Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Wait a minute, wait a minute, yeah, wait no, a minute. Yeah, no, she plays a different character. And what, they just thought no one would notice that? I don't know, Carrie. <laughs> I, I really don't know. I've never seen that movie, so. He obviously likes using her, John Carpenter. Maybe that's why the doctor's name is Loomis. I don't know. There's Who knows? Some, there's some weird name associations in this. Portraying Sheriff Lee Brackett, terrible friend Annie's father, and <laughs> terrible sheriff. <laughs> terrible sheriff. We have Charles Cyphers. Um, he is. Um, oh my God, he's in Halloween Kills. Oh, I didn't notice. Yeah, and he's also in Halloween too. But of course, <laughs> those are like his biggest things. We have uh, Kylie Richards playing little Lindsay Wallace. Brian Andrews playing little Tommy Doyle. <laughs> uh, John Michael Graham is Bob. Bob, you're hot, but I'm glad they got rid of you. Um, <laughs> As Nurse Marion Chambers, we've got Nancy Stevens, who is in several of the Halloweens. Oh, yeah. She was, I, I mean, I don't know it, about... Her biggest claim to fame is Marion Chambers. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Considered one of the greatest and most influential horror films of all time. You know it's in the National Film Registry mm-hmm. in the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. And it is. This, I feel like... This is kind of like 70s dread entombed, yeah. you know, all on one little uh, disc or VHS for you, you know. Because this is kind of, this is about the time people for the first time were starting to intellectualize, hey, maybe we should lock our doors at night. We've had a terrible decade. And maybe we should keep better track of our children. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't send a bunch of people to Vietnam only to have them traumatized and they come back and kill. Well, there's that too. Yeah. But it, it was kind of, I don't want to say it was the death of an innocence, but it was a much simpler time back then. This does feel like a... Uh, we're ripping the Band-Aid off. Like, we're throwing open the curtain, letting everyone see the full breadth of human depravity kind of time, you the know? The Boogeyman is out there! The Boogeyman is out there, and, like, yikes, because... <laughs> um, ah! I... I, I ah. It, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot to unpack. <laughs> the 70s were not good. I'm glad we missed it. I'm like... Yeah, by a long shot. Sorry our parents lived through the whole thing, like... As children! I can't believe 
they did the whole thing. <laughs> they did the whole they thing. They did the whole 70s. Yeah, they sure did. As children. And they lived to tell the tale. Christ on sale. <laughs> uh, but guys, that theme. It's one of the most effective themes in film history to me. Uh-huh. And I love that the director got to do his own theme. Uh-huh. Like, I, I love that he has this talent. <laughs> Have you ever seen that meme of John Carpenter following Michael Myers around with a keyboard? Yes, yes. <laughs> Dan it! Dan it! <laughs> you know, just John Carpenter's Halloween and zooming in onto that jack-o'-lantern. I love that the jack-o'-lantern, I don't know that I've ever noticed this, which, again, take my horror fan card away. But the nose of the jack-o'-lantern looks like a little butcher's knife. It does, yeah. Absolutely. Oh my god! Of course, very intentional. Very intentional. Alright. Haddonfield, Illinois. Halloween, 1963. The entire opening of this film, which would eventually become one of its major hallmarks, is a POV shot. I know. Which I'm sure back then was very technically difficult to it's create. also very unsettling. Like... Yeah, we just... We're seeing through the eyes of this person who is stalking this house on this empty street, and you can see in the window there's a pair of teens ready to mack on each other. And you just know it's 1963. There's a creep in the window. <laughs> this is young teenage Judith Myers, right? <sighs> and her unnamed boyfriend... And the stalker can see them through the window as they head upstairs to go have Nookie. I'll tell you one thing. Whatever they did do, it was severely quick. Oh, no! I took the same note. It's not even 30 seconds, guys. And he's coming back downstairs after having finished. The stalker goes in through the back door, retrieves a butcher knife from the kitchen drawer, and barely misses the boyfriend coming back down the stairs. And he finds a clown mask and puts it on. And he walks into Judith's room. God bless Judith. I know she didn't finish. Time to kill the topless female I've discovered on the second floor. And now she's going to die. And guys, as soon as she turns around and sees this person, she starts screaming. Michael! It's kind of silly. I'm sorry. She, it's just with the with the whack with the knife going back and forth in front of the camera, and like it's like he's looking at the knife like he doesn't know himself what he's doing in the moment. You oh know? Oh my god! And you know we run downstairs out to our parents who are arriving home, and we realize the stalker is a six year old named Michael Myers, her little brother. Michael. a little boy. Yeah, no. Um, like, and, and you brought this up before we came down here. What happened? Yeah, no, th- this is, welcome to a new segment on Kicking and Streaming. What happened? We need this origin. We need to know what happened to make this little boy completely depraved of humanity. Well, like, if you look at the lore of the story, apparently he was motivated by the simple fact that she abandoned him 
so that she could, you know, get busy with her boyfriend. That's literally it. It's the jealousy and it's the neglect. But I think that I, I'm with you. I don't think that's enough of an explanation. It's so not. It's, like... it's kind of why if, if y'all have seen the Rob Zombie 06 remake, I know that movie's a lot. Rob Zombie is literally too much. But the backstory he does give on Michael Myers and his home life outside of the canon, it does make sense for me how little Michael became a monster. He was abused and neglected. I was going to say, a new headcanon just dropped. Maybe the dad's a secret killer or something, and, like, <laughs> he's, he's witnessing it. I don't know. Like, I don't see what fucked him up so bad. But, like, <sighs> anyway, we flash forward 15 years later. Cut to Smith's Grove, Illinois, October 30th, 1978. And Michael's long-term psychiatrist, Dr. Samuel Loomis, and his colleague, Nurse Marion Chambers, they are on their way to the psychiatric facility where Michael is being housed because they're going to escort him to court for a hearing. Just try to understand what we're dealing with here. Don't underestimate it. Don't you think we could refer to it as him? You say so. The compassion's overwhelming, Doctor. You mean you actually never want him to get out? Never, never, never. Why is it the two of them? I don't know. Why don't they have an armed bodyguard? I don't know. I thought they were just moving him to another facility. No, he's going to to court for a hearing. Where do they say that? They say that while they're in the car because Loomis is. Really, really hoping that whatever hearing they're going to, they're going to decide that Michael is going to spend the rest of his life incarcerated. Yeah. Because Loomis has been treating Michael for years and has resigned himself to the fact that Michael is a monster who cannot be helped and can only be held back from the world. Yeah, he says he hopes he never becomes free. Uh Um, So we're arriving at the sanitarium at Smith's Grove, right? Mm-hmm. And just every single goddamn patient is out on the lawn. Yes. And it's really coming down out here. <laughs> it's a thunderstorm. It is a full-on storm. And, like, Loomis gets out of the car to go check the gate, right? And while the nurse is sitting in the car, Michael Myers attacks her. And <laughs> all I'm saying is, why were we using this vehicle yeah. to transport this man? It's like a state-owned vehicle. I mean... Why are we not in an armored car? Come on. No, my favorite part is that he jumps up on the back of the car and gets on the roof, and she feels it happen, and she goes to open the window. I'm like, that's great. Yeah, That's no. fantastic. A- absolutely. Go ahead and get strangled. Like... <laughs> Snatches her out of the car, and guys, I shit you not, this man who has been incarcerated for 15 years drives away. Also, this man is not 21 years old. <laughs> you don't think so? No, the the, the body, the, the guy that's bodying this is definitely older than 21, I'm just saying. <laughs> like, but Ross, 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 how does he know how to drive? I need someone to explain very, that. Very carefully, I guess, because he literally manages to make it 150 miles away in one night, never having driven before. So Yeah, because that's the thing. We are now at the next day in Haddonfield, where this all started, 
And we finally meet our scream queen, Lori Strode. Lori is very bookish, very smart, but not super confident in her own social abilities. Like, she's got a couple of girlies. We'll meet them later. But she's just like a very nice, quiet, reserved, well-behaved kid. She's goody-goody. You can say it. (laughs) Kind of reminds me of our mother. She's a goody-goody. And I say that with all the love in the world, Mom. And the, the other thing about this, especially these outdoor settings, like, this was filmed in May. Yeah, I know, and you can tell. It's like <laughs> all the leaves on the trees are green. John. <laughs> and there's just these paper leaves scattered John, everywhere. I anyway. All of these very uh long shots of this suburbia that is Haddonfield, it's very still. Mm-hmm. and creepy and with the score it's perfect it's giving dairy vibes yeah you know it's like there's hardly anyone anywhere but that's the creepy character of the midwest for you you know don't forget to drop the key off at the myers place i won't they're coming by to look at the house at 10 30 be sure to leave it under the mat promise Lori is on her way to school and she encounters a kid she's babysitting later tonight, right? And it's uh, Tommy Doyle. That's his name. He's a cute kid. He's like, why the hell are you going to school this way? And she's like, I have to drop a key at the Myers house because her dad sells houses. And he's like, not the Myers house. I heard something terrible happen there once. And she's like, oh, pshaw. Pshaw. It's an empty house. <laughs> I bet that property's been empty for a long time. She goes up to that Myers house. And of course, it's all like empty and abandoned and like. No, the way Tommy is actually nervous. Yeah. No. Watching her walk up to this uninhabited home. She drops the key and she's like, see, it's fine. Connie Eels said never to go up there. Connie Eels said that's a haunted house. He said awful stuff happened there once. Lonnie Lamb probably won't get out of the sixth grade. There's someone in the Myers house, though. <laughs> We're seeing it through the screen. The breathing. Oh, God. The trademark breathing. The trademark breathing. Because that's the thing. Michael never speaks. You just hear him breathing under this mask the whole time. It's a little Hitchcock. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> he's just the breathing. Like, he doesn't speak. It's like the unopened door. Yeah. You know? I gave you a fun piece of information about the mask today. Carrie. <laughs> Harry and McMichael. <laughs> I've never known this tidbit of information. The mask, the quintessential Michael Myers white mask, is a William Shatner mask paint in white. Yes, it is. <laughs> William <laughs> Shatner. <laughs> Kirk. No wonder Michael Myers keeps getting away. He keeps having Scotty beam him up. That's so fucking funny. <laughs> Just another one of the many factoids about this production that was due to low budget costs. When she's sitting in class, in her English class or whatever, and the teacher's talking about how fate cannot be changed. How does Samuel's view of fate differ from that of Costain? Lori? Ma'am? Answer the question. Oh, um, Costain wrote that fate was somehow related only to religion, whereas Samuel's felt that... Well, fate was like a natural element, like earth, air, fire, and water. 
that's fun. Yeah, and like she's like daydreaming, looking out the window, and there he, there he is. He's standing there all the way. That's the thing about Michael. He's always shot from so far away mm-hmm. that it's it enhances it. It makes it more creepy because you can't make out his face, but you know it's blank white. Like, you don't even really know it's a mask until later on. I just got goosies. Did you see that? Yeah, and of course, you know, she always looks away and looks back, and he's gone. Take a drink every time this happens. Number one. (laughs) We should have brought alcohol. Anyway. (laughs) No, guys, we're going to be skirting through some of these scenes, because we can only talk about him standing outside looking in the window so much. Yeah, and, you know, we do see that little tidbit right after that, where Tommy is trying to go home with his pumpkin, but some bullies bust it open, and he's all dejected, and then the bullies are, like, running away from him, but that one kid runs straight into Michael. Smack into Michael. And is like, they just stare at each other for five seconds, that kid takes off running. Don't you know what happens on Halloween? stalks Tommy into the suburbs <laughs> in that car and by the way Loomis is already definitely trying to inform Haddonfield law enforcement that something is coming yeah he knows exactly where Michael is going after he escapes from Smith's Grove he knows it's Haddonfield he's literally trying to warn them it, he's still a terrible doctor like I no he's all he's on Michael's trail he's already found the accident site where Michael definitely ran a mechanic's truck off the road and killed the mechanic and stole his coveralls. And that's why he's in the outfit. Yeah. Yeah. When he finds the, you know, the the gown from the sanitarium draped over the truck... And then you it pans over a little bit, and you see the guy's body in the brush, and he never even saw it. <laughs> no, we will get back to Loomis's bad powers of observation later. And it, like it's just, uh. And so Lori's walking home from school with friends Annie and Linda. Linda's all right. She's a little ditzy, and she's mostly just <laughs> obsessed with her boyfriend Bob, which I would be too. He's very attractive. But uh, you know, and then there's Annie. Annie is terrible. I don't like Annie. I don't like her face. She's a bad friend. She's a nag. She's kind of the mouth. And they're constantly like Lori's been feeling a little out of sorts today. You know, she's been seeing some things, and they're making fun of her for it. Like, I just... No, I love this shot where Lori realizes she's forgotten her chemistry book. And this line of Linda's is so funny because it sounds like PJ Souls is just ad-libbing for Jesus and she's waiting for John Carpenter to yell cut. Yeah, exactly. But it never happens. It's with with Michael driving by in in the car. Oh, yeah! I forgot my chemistry book. So who cares? I always forget my chemistry book and my math book and my English book and my, let's see, my French book. And, well, who needs books anyway? I don't need books. I I always forget all of my books. I mean, (laughs) it doesn't really matter if you have your books or not. Well, you don't really need all your books. I don't need my books. (laughs) (laughs) This movie's kind of funny. (laughs) And all the unsettling musical themes are so effective, I can't get over it. When, When, like, Annie yells after him. And he stops the car. Yeah. And they're like, oh, shit, okay. (laughs) Hey, jerk. Speed kills. God, can't you take a joke? 
he goes on and they continue their walk home. And like right after Linda peels off to go to her house, Michael is suddenly standing in front of a bush in their path. Uh Uh-oh, someone's in our path. But then they get up to the bush and he's gone. Yeah, no, it's again, it's the long distance shots of him. It's like... They're so unsettling because, yeah. I can see you waiting. Yeah. I can see you waiting and I'm filled with dread. And he's waiting far enough away that you almost trick yourself into a false sense of security. Exactly. But uh, just don't turn your back on Michael Myers. We're also making plans for tonight. We've we've got to babysit tonight, right? Her and Annie both have to babysit for respective families. Annie's babysitting for the Wallaces, little Lindsay, mm-hmm. and Lori is babysitting for the Doyles, little Tommy. And they're going to rope uh, Linda into this plan, you know, at the last second, because Linda wants to have a place to smash with her boyfriend, Bob. Whatever. And, so and she- they're going to stick Lori with all the kids so they can all have sex. Like... <laughs> They're bad friends. No, yeah, kind of. I mean, uh, also, what are all these parents doing on Halloween? Why? (laughs) Why didn't they go trick-or-treating? Because they're at these eyes wide shut kind of parties where everyone gets liquored up and touches each other. She does have that weird encounter with the sheriff. Yeah. Right, where he's like, you be careful out there tonight, you know? And then, like... <laughs> yeah, a fat lot of good, he's gonna do them. Because the sheriff is Annie's dad. Right? Yeah, that's yeah. why she runs into him. He's going home. <laughs> Excuse me, Lori. Oh, Mr. Brackett, I'm sorry, Mr. Brackett. Oh, I didn't mean to startle you. That's all right. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? Yes, sir. <laughs> nice seeing you, sir. We all need a little scream on Halloween, or whatever the fuck he says. It's a dumb line. <laughs> And, like, when she finally gets up into her house and into her room, the carpet in her room. I can feel it. I know exactly what it feels Happy like. Happy 1978. Um, <laughs> I, I hate the clothesline shot. Like, it, it it just disturbs me. I don't like it. I know it's not the first one we get of him, but, like, there's just something in particular. It's like, it's giving it. It's giving, like, with the clown in, in standing in the clothesline. It's like... No, you know what it is. It's the fact that all of her bedroom windows are open. They're all open, dude. And when... he is just standing in the neighbor's yard. If he jumps high enough, like... <laughs> Listen, I can't remember the entirety of this film franchise that well, but I it's completely within the realm of possibility for me that Michael Myers can jump. And then we just start making the horror movie rounds. Like, if she answers the phone, there's no one there, just someone breathing. And then, like, you know, immediate callback, and apparently it was Annie. And, like, why is it now time to make Paranoid Girl crazier by invalidating her? Yeah, like Annie and Linda do a lot of that. They're always like, oh, Lori, you're so wound up tight. You never have any fun. There's a dance tomorrow, and they're teasing her about not having a date all the time. And, like, stop being this way. Leave her alone. She's a nice girl. She's about to go through 40 years of crap. (laughs) So Annie picks Lori up to go over to the neighborhood where they'll both be babysitting. And they're too busy smoking a joint and trying to hide it from her cop father. Like, all I'm saying is she freaks out when she sees her dad. She did not have to drive right up to him with a lit joint. She sure didn't. (laughs) My dad! Get rid of that. Put it out. Hi, Annie. Lori. Hi, Dad. What happened? What? What happened? Oh, uh, somebody broke into the hardware store. Probably kids. You blame everything on kids. Well, now, all they took was some Halloween masks, a rope, and a couple of knives. Who do you think it was? It's hard growing up with a cynical father. 
somebody broke into the hardware store. We know who it was. Yeah, they stole a Halloween mask and some rope and some knives. When he's like, be safe, girls, and they pull off, we finally have law enforcement and Dr. Loomis making contact for the first time. The sheriff's like, listen, I'm dealing with something. Give me 10 minutes. And Loomis is like, cool. Great. And in the background, we see Michael make a turn onto the street. Yeah, he's following the girls in that state-registered vehicle. It's the way he looks both ways. Yeah. Before... (laughs) (laughs) Michael Myers said, look both ways. You can see him look both ways. And, you know, in addition to hooking up with law enforcement, Loomis also goes out to the graveyard where Judith Myers is buried. And the groundskeeper is taking him out there. Ross, did you recognize the groundskeeper? Who's the groundskeeper? Arthur Millay, who is Toodles from Hook. You've got to be fucking kidding me. Nope. There's too many Shakespearean actors in this movie. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah. That was my point. I yeah. couldn't believe you didn't bring it up when you said his name. I was like, wait, does he not know? Lost. Please welcome him back to kicking and streaming. <laughs> I lost my marbles. <laughs> no, but guys, the laughs have to stop because they walk, <laughs> they walk up to Judith's gravesite. The headstone has been removed. Why do they do it? (laughs) He's so fussy. He's like, ah, kids. uh." Why do they do it? Goddamn kids. They'd do anything for Halloween. Those graves. Oh, I know. 18, 19. Judith Myers. He came home. I need you to think for a second about what kind of strength one person would need to lift an entire headstone on their own. It's like, well, 15 years of catatonia. I don't know if it, like, reserves your energy or something. Like, like... did he work out in the sanitarium? Uh, I, I don't probably know. Probably not. Like, <laughs> and, you know, the thing is, like, this is where I took the note about this is, like, the 70s entombed. Okay. Because all these, lo- all these big shots with the area that we get with all of the, you know, the music in the background, it's like... It's kind of like setting a tone of like things are happening in broad daylight and no one cares. Also kind of like an it. Which is why yeah. it's very 70s coded. Because like, that was the 70s. Bad things happening in broad daylight and no one knowing what to look for. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the shit being perpetrated wasn't necessarily new. But it was more visible. It was a little bit more visible, but like still nobody cared. Yeah. Like like the amount of grownups that had to either look the other way or were just not paying attention. Like it's just no one's paying attention. And like that, I think that adds very poignantly to the doom that you kind of feel in parts of this movie. And we're still being followed by the car. (laughs) Our gallant babysitters, Annie and Laurie. With the shot inconsistency getting out of the car when they get to the houses. Because they're they're right across the street from each other, the two houses they're babysitting at. And, like, it's where he pulls up on the right side of the street. And then the next shot, he gets out of the left side of the car onto the sidewalk. <laughs> well, that's the thing about cars back then, Ross. There was no middle console. It was like a couch. The car moves three times in the street <laughs> is all I'm saying. And meanwhile, it's after dark. Right? And so Loomis and the sheriff decide this is a great time to go check out the Myers place. Where they find a dead dog. The animal killed a dog? And is eating it. What? 
Yeah, did you miss that part? I did! Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, he was like, he got hungry. That's what... <gasps> yeah. No! Uh-huh. Oh, my God! Uh-huh, he killed that dog and was eating it. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Like, I know we don't get full origin, even in this first film, but, like, this film's cut up. You think? I've seen a longer version of this movie. Oh, wait a minute. I think I read about this. Weren't there scenes from the hospital? There were scenes in the hospital with him as a little boy after the murder. And... They they were talking very um, diagnostically, if that's a word, like very uh, clinically about what was going on with Michael. It's like Loomis and another psychologist like arguing about what exactly is going on here mm-hmm. and what exactly his official diagnosis should be. Because the one doctor's like, he's a child. He has his whole life ahead of him. Mm-hmm. We should maybe think harder about this. And Loomis is like, I don't know. Further study is needed. Like. <laughs> He's because like, I don't know, man. From the moment the murder happened, Michael went completely catatonic. He wouldn't, he never spoke again yeah. after the murder. Trauma. Like he, <laughs> sorry. Fuck you. It's a movie about trauma. It's a movie about trauma. The movie is about trauma. The 2018 movie obviously was a movie about trauma. The whole last movie was a study in trauma. It's a lot about rage and trauma. Rage and trauma colliding. Trauma. It's about Trauma. <laughs> it's the trauma. 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 It's about trauma. Thank you, Jamie Lee. I love Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> trauma. No, yeah, completely catatonic is not assisting at all in his treatment. And catatonia in children that young, I mean, I'm not going to say it's common, but like it's not. We literally don't know from these things. Yeah, no, like it, it, it is disturbing. Manifesting in a person that young is very much cause for concern, like obviously. Loomis says, you know what? He's been here once tonight. I'm going to stay here. See if he comes back. Just go ahead and put a pin in Loomis. That's where he's going to be. He's going to be there. He also tells the sheriff not to raise the alarm. What? Because he's afraid that it'll cause a public panic. You're not a cop, Sam. (laughs) You're not a cop. Anyway. Cut to the Doyle residence. And one of my favorite background details about this production, Lori and Tommy are watching on TV... The 1950s production of The Thing, which Carpenter would go on to direct like four years later. Because, yeah, we're getting the setups in both the houses, right? And the Doyles and the Wallaces. And Tommy keeps interrogating Lori about the boogeyman. He is big anxious that the boogeyman is going to come for him tonight Mm -hmm. because the bully said that he would. And... You know, Lori, God love Lori. She's just trying to keep him calm. Like, honey, there is no such thing as the boogeyman. And even if there was, nothing's gonna harm you. Not while I'm around. I saw the boogeyman. I saw him outside. There was nobody outside. There was. What did he look like? The boogeyman. We're not getting anywhere. All right. The boogeyman can only come out on Halloween night, right? Right. While I'm here tonight, I'm not about to let anything happen to you. Promise? Promise. Well, (laughs) listen. 
woman. I mean, she's she a good be, babysitter. She didn't. I want her to be my babysitter. It, it, when it's all said and done, she didn't let anything happen to them, did she? No. And like, y- you know what? Again, Annie's a bad friend. Mm-hmm. Calling her, telling her that she told Lori's crush that she wanted to go to the dance with him tomorrow, <laughs> and she's painfully embarrassed. And like, you know what? Lindsay's being ignored. I know she's fine and on the t- on the couch watching television, mm-hmm. but. What is she doing? What is Annie doing? Is she just in the kitchen making their food? She's like, making popcorn and she spills the butter all over herself. So we so we can take her top off, right? Like Yeah, she yeah. takes almost all of her clothes off. She now has one of Mr. Wallace's dress shirts on, socks, and clogs. God damn you, 1970s. And guess what? He's in the window. Yep. He's in the he's in the glass doors looking in. And so she's gotta go take care of her butter shirt, right? <laughs> Who the fuck keeps their wash units in the shed out back? (laughs) The Wallaces, apparently. Apparently, because she goes out there to put shit in the wash. She's got to turn some things on first, and she gets locked in there by, you guessed it, Michael Myers. And has not yet set eyes on him, though. I know. She's trying to get out. She doesn't know what's going on. Tries to get out through the window, and all of a sudden, Paul is calling. (laughs) Her boyfriend, Paul. Yeah, Paul is Annie's dick. And Stop! (laughs) That's... What we're trying to do here, like, <laughs> and so like Paul's like, you know, go get, go get Annie. Hello. Hi, Lindsay. This is Paul. Is Annie there? Here she is. Get her for me, will you? She's washing her clothes. Look, just tell her it's me, okay? Okay. Lindsay does save Annie once. She does. She does save her because. He's gonna get her before she comes out there, and then they go back in the house, and Paul's like, "Come get me!" And like, yeah, her bum boyfriend doesn't have a car, but wants to see her, and he's like, "I don't have any clothes on right now," and he's like, "Ooh, really? Come get me!" And <laughs> she's like, "All right, I gotta figure some shit out first. I'll be there soon." So she takes Lindsay across the street again. This woman's not wearing any pants. She takes this child across the street. She's horrible. I know. I hate her. She dumps Lindsay on Lori. So that she can go get her boyfriend. <laughs> She's like, I spilled butter all over my clothes there in the wash. I got stuck in the water. I'll tell you something. I'd like you to call Ben Tramer and tell him that you were just fooling around. I can't. Yes, you can. <laughs> no, he went drinking with Mike Godfrey and he won't be back till late. You'll have to call him tomorrow. Besides, I'm on my way to pick up Paul. Wait a minute. If you watch her, I'll consider talking to Ben Tramer in the morning. Think. Why'd you do that in the first place? You're a bad friend. <laughs> you knew she'd be uncomfortable with it, and you did it anyway. All like, right, well, now- I'm sorry. Justice for Lori Strode. Well, it's about to happen because... I know. Annie goes back across the street. She goes to get in her car, but the car door is locked. She doesn't have the keys. She goes back in the house, gets the keys, and when she comes back out, the door is no longer locked because Michael is in the back seat. How'd he get back there? How did he get in there? He didn't break a window. Maybe he's got catatonia kinesis or something. Like Catatonia kinesis. Like he can just unlock it with his evil mind. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, no surprise here. He reaches out of the back seat and strangles her. To death. interesting watching this movie as a kid that he targets Annie first 
because Lori is the one he's fixated on, right? Mm. And watching it this time, I think it has everything to do with the fact that Annie reminds him of Judith, who also abandoned her childcare responsibilities to get busy with a boy. You thought he was like, you know what? I want to relive that. I want to. I want to. I want to ah! reimagine my work. Oh like, my God. so he did it to Annie. And the way little Tommy Doyle can see him carrying Annie's body back into the house across the street, and Tommy's like, Leo, bitch. <laughs> The boogeyman is out there. Don't tell me I'm a liar. Don't tell me I'm crazy. And Lori's like, dude, there's no one outside. <laughs> Meanwhile, hurry up and wait. <laughs> Loomis is looming around the Myers house. And still, like, he sees some kids daring each other to go into the Myers house. It's the same bullies from, from earlier. And, like, he's when he imitates the voice to get them to go away. And I'm like, all right, Gandalf. <laughs> And so the chair, the sheriff, the sheriff checks back in and says, listen. Well, it's going to take more than fancy talk to keep me up all night crawling around these bushes. I, I, I watched him for 15 years, sitting in a room, staring at a wall, not seeing the wall, looking past the wall, looking at this night in humanly patient, waiting for some secret silent alarm to trigger him off. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. It's coming. Like, hurry up and wait, though. Because you know the one place he doesn't come back to for the rest of the film? The Myers, the Myers house. The Myers house. Wish he'd left some clues. Anyway, this is where I wrote, dang, can you believe there's only a half an hour left in this movie? You wouldn't believe. And you wouldn't believe. The hardcore bloodbath stuff hasn't even started. We're only one body deep in our main cast. So it's a perfect time for more bodies. Who shows up to the Wallaces but Bob and Linda? That's funny. Bob's Burgers. Oh, no! A oh. Bobby! Oh, Bobby. Can We're... you imagine? <laughs> no. A young Bob and Linda Belcher? No, I can't. No, nah, I'm kidding. These two kids are just, just. They're, like, they're there to be weird and inebriated. Could have done without the rape joke, Bob. But, oh, like, yeah. Ooh, that was fucked up. That was not okay. Anyway, they just want a place to make out. And so they head on in. And there's not a single light on. Yeah. Annie's nowhere to be found. They have no questions about this. They flop right on the couch and start going at it. And Michael loves to watch. Like when it pans out on them macking on each other and he's just standing in the kitchen <laughs> watching them make out. Like, oh, no. And like, guys, you know what happens. They go upstairs. They make the whoopee. And Lin- again, very short premarital sex here. Yeah. All the young men in this he movie. He barely moves. Like All the men in this movie have the, sh- have the fuse of a bottle rocket. It was the 70s, okay? And all the young women are totally okay with it. They light up in the strangers' beds. Yeah, they're not at all worried about being caught. And, like, you know, they're all finished up. Linda decides she wants a beer. This will now ensue. She kicks Bob out of bed to go get a beer. (laughs) Bob goes downstairs and gets dyed very quickly. Oh, no, yeah, because, again, not a single light on. And the back door is creaking open. And I'm just like... He thinks it's her fucking with him. He thinks it's Linda fucking with him. When he goes, Linda, you asshole. And then he like oh, throws open that closet door. And here's Mike. Linda, you asshole. Okay, Linda. 
Come on out. him into the wall. Yeah. And keeps him there. Like props him up. Suspended. <laughs> the laughable way we're supposed to believe that that knife is holding his body in the wall. No, like... but Ross, I find this shot fascinating because, you know, it pulls out and we see that, that Bob is literally thumbtacked to the wall with this knife. And the way Michael is standing there, tilting his head like a confused dog. Mm. That's interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like he's trying to make sense of it, but resigning himself to the fact that he can't. Maybe it has something to do with how many times he's been instructed to think about what he's done. Maybe. Maybe, because like, they've tried for years to get him to show remorse and they get nothing. Uh... And also, uh, so, um, air quote Bob <laughs> shows back up in the bedroom doorway and it's literally Michael with a sheet over his head with Bob's glasses over the sheet. I've also always found this choice interesting. It's like he's trying to put masks on top of masks. I'm like, honey, <laughs> reality's going to be there. <laughs> no, you, but there's only so many times you can dissociate. He dissociated into Catatonia, so... But Linda's none the wiser. She thinks it's Bob standing there just being creepy and breathing and not answering her. What's the matter? Can I get your ghost, Bob? Where's my beer? Well, can't you answer me? And she's like, all right, whatever. The hell with you. I'm going to call back over to the Doyles because I want to find out where Annie and Paul are. Because you're so not cool anymore, Bob. And then he <laughs> isn't. He was, in fact, not cool anymore. Yeah. And she calls Lori. Lori answers the phone. And just as Lori answers the phone, Michael begins to strangle Linda with the phone cord. And she can hear it. It kind of sounds like she's getting dicked down on the other side of the phone. Aww. And so Lori's like, ha ha, very funny. Hello? <laughs> uh. Hello? All right, Annie. First I get your famous chewing, now I get your famous squealing. Annie, are you all right? This is where I took the note. This film's kind of funny. It's how comedically PJ Souls is dying. The noises she's making. I giggled. I laughed. I did. And like... Lori hangs up the phone and tries immediately back, but no one answers. Mm -hmm. She's also noticed that there are no lights on over there. Annie's not back with Paul, mm -hmm. but their van is out front. Bob and Linda's van is out front. And it's the way he flicks the lights for her. Yeah. Like, okay, I know you just called. Come on over here. <gasps> no! Yeah, it's like time for you to come on over here. But she has a responsibility tonight, though, right? Because what does this all draw from, really? This element of the narrative, this all draws from the urban legend of the babysitter and the man upstairs, right? Yeah, kind of. And I mean, I know When a Stranger Calls was the year after this. Yeah. So they were really capitalizing on the babysitter urban legend at this time. And, and Black Christmas was in 74. But you're right. It's the whole concept of there are these vulnerable young people 
trying to take care of even more vulnerable young people, and there's a scary man in the house. She also, okay, she makes sure they're fast asleep, takes the keys, locks them in, and goes across the street. Love the shots of her going across the street. <laughs> it's so ominous, Carrie. I I'm know. like, because we all know what's about to happen. She gets in over there, and there's not a single light on anywhere. Not a light to be found. Not an inch of electricity going on. Phone line is cut. The no lights is funny to me because that was a budgetary issue. I mean, come on. They did not have money for lights. Don't say these things to me. <laughs> Don't say the last scene's in darkness because they couldn't afford the lighting. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Oh, my God. Also, sorry, can I just put this in real quick? Because this makes no fucking sense. Oh no, this part had me yelling. So just picture Lori still walking across the street. Meanwhile, <laughs> Loomis is, guess where? Outside the Myers house. And so like, I don't, what distracts him? I don't know. He literally, I literally carry, I think he literally just looks over and sees the car. He's been standing there for hours. And, like, he runs up the street to look at the car. It's four houses down! I'm sorry, should Lori not be crossing the street right now? <laughs> Did he not park that car in front of the Wallaces? No, I think it's a couple blocks down. I don't think it's in... No, Carrie, he parked it in front of the Wallaces... Wait a minute. ...when they got out of the car. You're talking about a continuity error. Yeah! <laughs> Carrie, it makes no fucking sense. <laughs> if this is happening right now, he should encounter Lori crossing the street. You're right. It's so glaring. It literally puts your brain in a twist like, wait a minute, what the fuck's happening? <laughs> when are we? What are we? He spots his own car. I thought the Myers was quite a walk away as we established in the beginning of it the is, movie. It is. That's the thing. You're talking about a continuity error. Uh, and uh, the music. You know, she she can't get in, right? Because it's, it's all locked up. Yeah. She's, she's like walking around the house. She finds that open back door where Michael first came in. Mm-hmm. All right, you meatheads. Joke's over. Come on, Annie. It's enough. Most definitely stop being funny. Now cut it out. Or be sorry. Not a single light, like we said, because they couldn't pay to light it. <laughs> and rather than despair, they just leaned into it. And so uh, it's pitch dark. She goes wandering around the house, and she goes upstairs. And she sees a light on in the bedroom, closed bedroom door. Very creepy. And so when she uh, opens up that door, we find Annie Brackett's corpse laying on the bed with Judith Meyer's headstone over her head. Listen, I'm not going to say she wasn't McReady. Uh-huh. I just think the reaction is interesting. Like, it's not a scream. Mm-hmm. It's not terror, but it's like... Instant mourning, instant almost. Instant crying? Like, a little, the little whimperings? Like, I... Oh, no, she did... Jamie Lee Curtis did not think very highly of her own performance in this film. She thought this was going to be the end of her career. But that's the thing, too. Like, I feel like if this were happening in reality, put yourself in these shoes... If you opened it, I feel like I would have a very similar reaction. Just kind of like a quiet breakdown, you know, like... Okay, here's another thing. Here's another little piece of trivia that I think you'll like that could explain what you're talking about is that because the film is shot out of sequence, 
John Carpenter literally made like a spectrum of fear thing for Jamie Lee Curtis's reference. And based on what scene they're filming, he's like, okay, Laurie, you need to be here on the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> like a wheel of terror. Coming to Netflix, fear on the spectrum. <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not. And like, this part's actually kind of funny because- Oh no, with the bob? Because <laughs> guys, I don't know where Michael has stashed Bob, but he- We find out! <laughs> he just swings down from the ceiling. And that, that then she screams. Then she screams. And she knocks into that cabinet- and the door opens. <laughs> no, this part is funny. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm gonna pass out. <laughs> no, take a drink. Take a drink. Take a drink. Guys, it's awful, but it's it's kind of funny. Like because that door swings open and <laughs> Linda's in the closet, but her eyes are crossed. <laughs> Great job dying, PJ. <laughs> oh, I can't. My stomach hurts. And like, of course, we're backing up out of the bedroom, and we're coming in for that famous shot, guys. Mm. One of the most famous shots in the whole saga, the whole silly saga. She's when she's leant up in the moonlight against the wall, and she's sobbing. Yeah. And there's a dark doorway next to her, and the little. And he's standing right there. Yeah. And stabs through her shirt, like, on her shoulder. And she goes flying over the stairwell. And then, like, that piano. And she's at the bottom of the stairs. She can see him standing at the top of the stairs. Just his shadow. He's coming. She's limping. She's got a bad leg now. She, the way she limp runs across the street, but then she realizes, uh-oh, I don't have the keys to the house anymore. <laughs> she literally has to pick up a potted plant, <laughs> hurl it at Tommy's bedroom window. And he's coming. He's halfway across the street before this kid starts going downstairs. <laughs> she barely gets inside, and then she's like, okay, listen, I need you kids to go upstairs, lock yourself in a room, and don't come out until I tell you. <laughs> and so then she... She goes to the window, tries to dial the phone. Her phone line's been cut. Mm-hmm. Who has the time? No, that's the thing. It's so difficult to keep track of his movements the whole night. Where's he at? Where's he at? Like, Because that's the thing. She locked the door behind him, right? But as those kids are going upstairs, she's sitting in that dark living room. My favorite part about this shot is that she can hear him before she sees the open window. Yeah, she can hear him breathing. And so she just, as calmly as possible, reaches into her little bag and removes a knitting needle. And Michael pops up from behind the couch like toast. And she just (laughs) rams that knitting needle into his neck. Please stop. Please. Uh-uh. <laughs> 
Ooh, ah! <laughs> you cut me deep, Shrek. You cut me real deep just now. And um, this is the uh, first death. Oh, um, this is that's the thing. This is the first good hit anyone's had on him, and he goes down like a ton of bricks. But it's okay. It's it's just like when he loses. It's just like losing the level of a game. He'll respawn. <laughs> yeah, no. Like... If you know nothing about this franchise, you might think to yourself, "Huh, that was quick." But it's never that simple. She runs upstairs, gets the kids out of room, and is like, it's okay now. And they scream, because it's not okay now. He's standing right behind you. Oh, my God. I'm going to take a little walk. With the boogeyman. I'm scared. There's nothing to be scared of. Are you sure? How? I killed him. You can't kill the boogeyman. Get in there. Come on, Tommy. Now lock the door. They lock themselves back in the room, and she goes into the other bedroom, and I honestly think I stopped taking notes because... (laughs) No, it gets chaotic. This is like the last five minutes of the film. Like, it's all too chill. Yeah. But still somehow scary. Yeah. Like, I feel like they're going through this very methodically. What always freaked me out is she locks herself in that closet with the bifolding doors, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. The doors are by? No. Sorry. (laughs) They slide open and they fold. That's exactly, you just described a bisexual. (laughs) Stop it. I'm sorry. (laughs) But like mom's, you remember mom's closet at home? I think her closet was straight. No. Oh, no. Yes, I do. I know what you're talking about. It yeah. had the same doors on it. I know. Just... Oh, before she redid them? Yeah. Yeah. When I was little. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and you know when that house was built? In the 70s. 1974. Had the same brown carpet Lori has in her bedroom. <sighs> anyway, we're getting too bogged down in the design. We grew up in a time capsule. I know we did. <laughs> I know we did. And she shuts herself in that closet and she, like, loops a tie around the doorknobs. And I'm like, that's real cute. Yeah. That she thinks <laughs> he's not going to be able to bash straight through those flimsy-ass doors. Yeah. And he does. harrowing series of shots because she's just huddled in the corner of the closet. How does second death happen? How does she get him this time? Does she stab him again? She takes the pointy end of a uh, wire hanger and basically blinds him and he drops that butcher knife and she reaches up and sticks him in the ribs with it. That's why his eye looks weird. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So that's death number two. Yeah. We get the kids back out of the room. (laughs) This, like, honestly, after that first fake out, I would not turn my back on him again. (laughs) And, like, she's like, okay, listen, I need a second. (laughs) I want you to go down the stairs and out the front door. I want you to go down the street to the Mackenzie's house. I want you to tell them to call the police and tell them to send them over here. Now, do you understand me? Go do as I say. Please go run screaming out of this house down to the Mackenzie's. Tell them to call the police. I have no working phone. I'll join you shortly. I'm going to call the police. Loomis hones in on screaming children running out of the house in the street. No, that's Again, shot out of sequence. I feel like he I feel like this is where he's just found the car. Maybe. You know, like I don't know, man. otherwise, why would he be there again? That's it's just not clear. Okay, Tommy Lee Wallace. I loved it. What's with the editing? <laughs> 
what's going on, Tommy? You gotta let us know. Okay, and Lori is sitting there in the doorway, just catching her breath, goddammit. She just killed a man twice. <laughs> he fucking sits up! It's so creepy because it happens completely silently. Yeah. You just look over and he sits straight up and I'm like, no! And so he gets a hold of her neck and he starts strangling her. And guys, in this last struggle, as Loomis is coming up the stairs... She gets his mask off. I forgot about this entirely. I knew she got the mask off, but I forgot about the clear as day shot of the face, of the shape. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. We can see it. Tommy Moran or Tony Moran, whatever his name was. his eyes all messed up. And I'm like, wow, I almost would have left that out. I know. Yeah. I don't like the idea of him having a face. And plus, by the time the whole saga ends... If he's six in 1963... Yeah, he's pretty damn that old. That means he's fucking 60-something at the end of the whole thing, like... And still terrorizing communities. And never wash that damn mechanic suit. Oh, God. Loomis cartoonishly shoots him in the body. I don't know where, I can't see where, but... Like it, six body shots. It, the shots are enough to back him all the way across that bedroom and out the window. <laughs> Yeah, he falls two stories into the yard down below. The comical shot of the stunt man literally backing his whole ass <laughs> off the ledge. Picking his ass yeah. off over the ledge. <laughs> and hurling himself backwards. And the, when, the, when he falls, in parentheses, in subtitles, dramatic synth. <laughs> and then, oh, the great lines. Great, oh. great closing lines. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. And guys, Loomis goes over to the window or the balcony, I can't remember at this Mm, point. Yeah. And he looks down. Michael's body is gone. He gone. The look on Loomis's face, and then all of the shots of the dark house with the breathing laid over it. Where is he now? And it's like, <laughs> it made me think of Golden State Killer. Oh no. Oh no. It's like he would always call and breathe, right? No. That's, and this is a real life crime. Oh. It's, this is life imitating art. Like, it's, I remember all the victims would say how. It didn't matter what happened after that. He now lived in that space with me. Oh, God. Like, he was there forever, and I kind of feel like that's what those shots say. It's like, no matter who, what happens in that house, whoever comes to live in that house again, it's like he will always be in it. And guys, can you believe the sequel picks up the same night? Yeah, can you believe that... Halloween 2, the spooky hospital. It's literally Lori going to the hospital that night after the ordeal and having another ordeal. That's the whole movie, is an ordeal in the hospital. Like, I I guess, like, did he, like, go to the hospital to stalk her more and, like, treat himself while he was there? (laughs) I feel like if you're catatonic, you shouldn't know how to treat gunshot wounds. Like... (laughs) 
at least Catatonic Sense 6. Guys, that movie's great. It's very silly. I did. <laughs> it's silly in parts, and I think it's kind of funny. I think it's the best horror comedy of the 70s. Stop. I really do. No. But, like, it's obviously iconic. Mm-hmm. And, guys, I really do th- You know, they worked forever to find a good person to play the breathing. And what a good person to play the breathing. And then on top of that, they had to find someone to play the music. So Stop it right now. And I really do think John Carpenter as the music. <laughs> and what's his balls is the breathing. It really is the movie. No, it you're right. Parts of it are silly and parts of that franchise would just get sillier. Like, yeah, Halloween 2 is fine. Except for the one detail that you know irks me to no end. And I think I am going to spoil it for them because the likelihood of us covering that sequel is relatively low. Um, oh, that they're, yeah. Okay. Speak it. So here's the thing. <laughs> oh my God. John Carpenter knew he was not going to be very involved with the sequel and also resented having to kind of write it. And guys, he wrote this twist in there that no matter what way you slice it, it doesn't make any sense. Guys, in that movie, it is revealed that Lori Strode is Michael Myers' little sister. That makes no fucking sense. It doesn't. It doesn't. Everyone needs their Star Wars moment. (laughs) Yeah. This is the Luke, I am your father of this. Like, and that literally just happened. (laughs) Like, I know. And like, people like kind of brush it off like, oh, well, it does make sense because that, you know, explains why he's so fixated on her. I mean, that's fine. That's great. But like, like, better twist, please? Like, I... No, it doesn't make any sense. And what's funny about it is that when they you know, brought Jamie Lee back for all of the reboots from 2018 on, they abandoned that piece of canon like a rotten potato. Absolutely, as they should. (laughs) They bend over backwards in that script to be like, no, I think that's something people made up. Yeah. (laughs) It's gotta be, right? Like... It's too much. It's too much. Yeah, guys, that's Sawain. Like, is... That's Sawain. (laughs) Sawain the movie. That is Halloween. Oh my God, let's do it. Sawain the movie. Let's do Sawain. (laughs) But it'll be silly and kind of funny in parts. Okay, all right. We have to do it very 70s. Oh. Oh, yeah. We're glad to end Spooky Season right with a classic. No, I just... You're right. That movie is silly in parts, but it's really hard not to make it a part of your spooky viewing diet, right? No, that's the thing. It still makes me feel unsettled. Like like you're wondering who is standing outside your house. Even if I am giggling at the inconsistencies and the shoddy acting, I'm like... <laughs> PJ Souls cross-eyed in the closet. <laughs> Hi, Bob. Hi, Totally Bob. Hi, I'm Totally Bob. No. <laughs> Can we create a TV show called Totally Bob? No. It doesn't have to be about this. <laughs> like, oh my God. Let's do a revamp. Bob the Builder. Uh-huh. But he's gay now. Oh. And it's called... It's Totally Bob. It's Totally Bob. <laughs> and he doesn't do carpentry anymore. He's abandoned all his talking vehicles. <laughs> And now his drag accessories talk to him. Stop! (laughs) Not like the feather boa with like a chain smoking sort of voice and like. Totally, Bob. (laughs) Can we slay it? Totally, Bob. Yes, we can.
guys, I just... Uh, it has to be done. It's going to have to be done. Kicking and streaming can no longer hold off. <laughs> oh, I don't we wanna. have a window to do it. We're going to do it. And we're going to get it out of the way. Guys, next week, we will be talking about the 2004 action-adventure heist film, National Treasure. What a truly insane motion picture we're about <laughs> to embark on. This was an insane time for film. Oh, and just wait for the rest of November's selections. <laughs> Y'all all be sick of me yet. Oh, God. Be on the lookout for that, folks. In the meantime, you can go follow us on Twitter at KickNStream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet. Folks, we want everyone to come and join our little watch party. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, sorry Mom. Mom.